You are listening to Heartland Podcast. On this year's Heartland, Professor of Cognitive Neuroimaging Gina Rippen and brain researcher Mikkel Valentin met in front of a live audience to discuss the gendered brain. Gina Rippen is one of Britain's leading neuroscientists. She specializes in gender and the difference between gender. In 2019, she published the book Gendered Brain, the new neuroscience that shatters the myth of the female brain where she, as the title may reveal, argued that biology does not decide the differences between the male and the female brain. Mikkel Valentin is an associate professor and has studied both drama and cognitive semiotics. He has done a lot of research into how we use language and how it affects the brain. Valentin has studied the way we talk about gender and how we use language differently depending on our gender. The two participants discuss how the brain is gendered. If it's not biology that decides, then what does? That is the question that Ribbon and Valentin attempts to answer. Is it culture, language, society? Or does biology in fact play a part? Because there are differences, the two agree. But where does the differences come from? The conversation is a part of Heartland's future talks. These talks are created to invite scientists and theorists into the public conversation and make us all care and take an interest in the future. The talk is moderated by former cultural researcher and journalist Torben Sangel. Future talks are supported by Lundbeck Funden. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Heartland Podcast. Everything concerning gender is controversial. Um, gender debates, feminism, they always create a lot of debate, uh, angry debates on social media and so on. And you might think it would be different when we're talking the scientific field of neurology and brains. Um, here, it should be quite clear what's going on with gender differences and similarities, but it's not. Scientists argue about these matters and the field of thousands of studies showing different things in different ways are easy to get lost in. So one might be tempted to simply instead read a popular book um, with a title such as Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus or Uh, Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. That's an actual book title. Um, or you might uh, read uh, Gina Rippon's book, The Gendered Brain, uh, written in opposition to what you call neurotrash. We'll talk about that later. Um, no more exaggerations of gender differences, no more gender stereotyping. Instead, you want to look at the full picture of what neuroscience has actually discovered about gender. So if you were to sum up the most important points of your book, Gina, what would they be? Um, well, it's called The Gendered Brain, and, and something you haven't touched on is the difference between sex in terms of the kind of biological determinants and gender in terms of what society expects. You know, we could have another 10 minutes on that. Um, so it's really the way in which... I wanted to demonstrate how big the impact of the world is on the brain and that the earlier claims that we were 
there was two types of bodies, two types of brains, so there's male and female body, and whatever it was that in the early years they didn't know, whatever it was that determined male bodies and female bodies also determined male brains and female brains, and they were different, uh, and that meant men and women could do different things, they could expect different things out of life, and life could expect different things out of them. And it was really to say, in the 21st century, we've got a much better idea about our brains are embedded in the world, and the world has a very big impact, much bigger than we ever realised. Uh, my, my interest is really how brains get to be different, in, f for whatever reason. I, I work in the autism world, and, and that is a field full of very different brains. Um, the one thing I would say is this is not a sex difference denier's manual. Um, the term sex difference denier has been um, pointed at me uh, by, by critics of the book. Um, a bit like climate change denier, presumably with the same consequences <laughs> for human civilization. Um, it's not. It, I genuinely believe that there is an influence, of whether you're male or female, but where that comes from and how powerful that is, is a matter of debate, which is why we're here. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Mikkel, you have also read uh, Gina's book. Uh, what is your impression of the book, sort of, in, in more general terms? We'll go into more specific details later. Yeah, so I've uh, done a bit of research in uh, the sex slash gender differences in language and in how language is instantiated in the brain. So that's how I come to sit on this stage. Uh, and uh, I read... Uh, Gina's book, and so one of the biggest take-home messages um, in psychology and uh, cognitive science and uh, language research is that there's a huge amount of variability. So people are really different in, in how well they do things. And when you then look at, um, at um, how much of this variability can be explained by sex slash gender in the uh, behavior and psychology, um, then it's a very, very small amount. Uh, so, uh, perhaps one or two percent or so. Yeah. And with bringing me back to your question, I think that when I read Gina's book, uh, there's a lot of very, very uh, interesting things in that book, and uh, I agree with uh, almost everything. Uh, there's a small portion where I then perhaps disagree, and we can then, of course, spend the rest of our 50 minutes here discussing whether the, that little proportion is important <laughs> or not. Okay, we'll return to the 1 or 2% uh, later on. Um, Gina, it's safe to say that the book has spurred some controversy. Um, how has your life been after the publication of the <laughs> book? I have sort of an idea that you're traveling around the world and... and yeah defending your book? Yes. Um, yes, it, it, in, some, in some formats it's been, it's been very well received and it, I've had some great reviews. But I think sometimes people have read the book believing it's a sex difference deniers manual. Or actually, to be honest, I think they haven't read the book. They just read the book, the, the title or the associated uh, publicity with it. And they think that I say, for example, they say, so you think men are the same as women? And then off they go on this wonderful illustrated rant quite often. I <laughs> get some interesting JPEGs. They also uh, call you names. What are you, yes, what, what um, you being called? 
Well, uh, sex difference denier is one. Feminazi is another. Feminazi, yeah. nice one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, grumpy old Harridan is another as well. <laughs> you know, just, you know, just get a life kind of thing. Um, I don't know if this will work in, in, in Danish or English. The Daily Mail uh, commentary in the Daily Mail said I was full of carp. Um, if you think of that word and think perhaps that's a spelling mistake, you can just play around with it anyway. We'll see if people get it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so. But yes, it, it's, it's generally... It, sometimes the scientific community uh, have been disturbed by some of the comments I've made mm -hmm. as well, uh, which is challenging. The life of a female neurologist has been portrayed in a movie called The Female Brain. Um, and I'm quite sure this is an accurate portrait of your working <laughs> life, Gina. Um, let's uh, see the clip. After years of research, we discovered the male and female brain is wired very differently. To him, I'm basically a blow-up doll. Oh my god, that is what you look like. Thank you. We know that grooming releases endorphins in the female brain. Let's not forget the Christmas present I gave you for the Brazilian straightening. I like my hair. It looked like Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazzard. I don't even know who that is. Or maybe it was my American accent. You mean, you don't know the Dukes of Hazzard? The area responsible for defending your turf is larger in the male brain. I'm a physical marvel. Oh, okay. Try me. Throw something at me. Anything. Oh. Okay. So I wasn't ready for that. Women are also more likely to recognize flaws. What the hell are you wearing? I threw that thing out like three years ago. But I take out the trash, so now it's back live in effect. Women want to be MMA fighters, but they still want us to hold the door open for them. These gender roles, they've been in us for 20,000 years. <laughs> Let's not do that anymore. Oh my god. How's it look? You like this look? How's it feel to be dating a magician? Relationships take work. You want me to work two jobs? Why don't we take the drug, Molly? Is that the one to make you eat people's faces up? Should we turn some music on? There's no music on? Okay, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. On three, let go. One, two, three. Oh, I know you, you want to let go. That's the Knowing your brain makes life so much easier. Even though people can be complicated, nobody can deny our ability to get back up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, uh, you just said yeah nine yeah, times. Yeah, Can I tell you something? Yeah, sure. I think you're a physical marvel. I see, and she throws yeah. jelly. Jelly's not really something you catch. Jelly's something right. you eat. Yeah, uh, yeah of course here we go. Those were two peppers in a bag. It was like catching nunchucks. So, uh, Gina, you, you chose this clip. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> is, is, uh, is this a day in the life of... Uh, Just Gina like Ribbon? you were in my lab. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, this is based on a best-selling book with the same title by Luan Brissendine or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the book is from 2007, the movie is from 17. Um, is this a good example of <laughs> neurotrash? This is the best, most wonderful example of neurotrash. <laughs> Could you expand um, on that? The term neurotrash really reveal, it refers to the idea very early on when brain imaging arrived, all of a sudden having made lots of, you know, devised lots of theories about the brain before we could even 
see the brain other than when it was dead or damaged. Once brain imaging arrived and we had these wonderful images, it looked as though we could revisit all the old questions that people had made assumptions about representation of language in the brain, etc. Um, but there was an unfortunate side effect of these wonderful images and that people believed this was exactly real-time imaging, that you could really see what people were thinking, uh, how they were going to respond to what was going on in the outside world. And these images got hijacked by books like this um, and hugely misinterpreting, misunderstanding, misrepresenting, linking it to kind of rather weird evolutionary theories as well. I think this film does also have us all hunter-gathering, etc. And these books became very popular because, again, they told a wonderfully compelling story. You know, people understood, wanted to understand, you know, why men didn't cry and women couldn't green maps or something. Um, Why men don't iron, that's another one you missed. Um, And and I I, I think uh, because they they really looked like they told a, a good story, and they also confirmed what people believed. So we have this kind of confirmation bias when people will say, yes, my little boy is different from my little girl, therefore all little boys must be different from all little girls, and now we've got the neuroscience to prove it. So I think this is a very good example. But it also, in this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy world, I think one of the impacts that the world has on a developing brain, or an adult brain even, is this belief that male brains are different from female brains. And if you get books and films like this, Um, supporting that belief, it will then enter the pressures that are put upon our brains. So, yes, good example of Neurotrash. (laughs) I couldn't have chosen a better one myself. (laughs) Miguel, um, you want to run a small experiment with the audience, and uh, now is the time, so we need a slide here. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm sure that you've all um, heard a lot about from popular media or neurotrash outlets, um, that there are fundamental differences between male and female brains. And now we're going to find out. So here we have uh, a uh, number of uh, brains on the um, screen here. And I don't know if you can see them over there from, from, from me, but uh, Torben will now take notes. And what we're going to try is uh, a game called Wisdom of the Crowd. So there's a lot of uh, studies in uh, social psychology that actually uh, suggest that um, a group of people work better than uh, one. So the idea is now that we we are going to take a vote for each of these uh, brains, and uh, so they're randomly uh, picked Uh, images from one of my studies, and uh, yeah, some are uh, male brains and some are female brains. So let's see what we can do. Um, so we start with number two here, and uh, I want everybody who thinks that this is a male brain to raise their hand now. And I'm sort of an autist, so I can easily count here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everybody who thinks that it is a a female brain, raise their hand now. Yes, and that was a small advantage for the male brain, I Mm -hmm. think. 
So number two was a male brain. Are you taking notes, Tom? It's a lot of don't know. Uh, I'm there. taking mental notes. <laughs> okay. I don't have a pen. Number three now. We're doing the same. Everybody who thinks that uh, this is a male brain, raise your hands now. So let's have the uh, correct answers and see if the wisdom of the crowd. Uh, so number two was that. Wow. This is almost correct. So you can see that I've uh, color-coded... is number 19. The only mistake is 19. So you got 8 out of 9 correct. <laughs> now, Miguel, now you have to explain this. Yeah. Yeah, so this is... Uh, <laughs> so this what's, is... Uh, what's going on? Very interesting. You are, uh, I think, for the majority, uh, not trained neuroscientists. You are not... Uh, so how is it that we can still see this? And this is the uh, good question now. Uh, and um, I can tell you that I did this with my students last week, and we got the same results. So it seems as though you can actually, from looking, just looking at a uh, brain, you can predict the gender of this person. Right. So that's a first take-home message, that there are Differences in, uh, between male and female brains. You don't need uh, a, a machine learning algorithm to detect this, or rather you are sort of a machine learning algorithm that has somehow been trained on this, and you can give the correct output. And now I'm sure Gina will tell us why that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to want to ask them what made them decide it was male and female, because... We don't know. Yeah, so people point at their noses because we not only we don't only see the brains, we also see the noses. Yes. And uh, I think that uh, that's probably a, a physiognomical difference between uh, men and women, right? Yeah. That's I think the so. size of yes. the nose, maybe also the shape. Well, of the you nose. go right back to 18th-century craniology when you <laughs> measured the angle between the earlobe and the nose. This is clearly an audience full of 18th-century craniologists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that's the hard line crowd for you. I want yeah. you all to come and join my lab when I get back. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> is that, is that the, the... I think, I think so. That's one of my students' comments uh, as well, that, uh, that you can use, for example, the nose, perhaps, to predict uh, these images. But it could also be uh, that you, to some extent, work on the size because we know the size of the brain, the size of the brain and the head. Uh, we know that there are uh, clear differences in uh, brain uh, size. So uh, probably that's something that you can Clue use to. That people are picking up. Yes. yes. I mean, I think when people say, "So are there any sex differences in the brain?" At, what, at one level, you can say yes. There's a very clear sex difference on average. Uh, brains from men, and I'm using that term carefully. 10% bigger than brains from women, and that's because men are, on average, 10% bigger than women, and they also have bigger hearts, livers, kidneys, lungs, etc. Um, and I didn't notice in the program that there was going to be a discussion about men having bigger livers than women or men having bigger kidneys. That's than next women. year we'll go. <laughs> What's so, the difference between male and female livers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think, uh, and, and once you look at how as an organ, and it's a very complicated organ, believe it or not, the brain, as it gets bigger, then there are scaling issues with respect to whether each of the individual 
parts get bigger or whether they stay much the same size and the connections between them get, get bigger and, and there's an efficiency trade-offs. So yes, I mean, a, a size is an issue as often in this area of discussion. Um, and I think um, what a lot of neuroscientists are doing is, is now arguing within each other's labs about what the best way is of correcting for size. But I would say that if you had the time and the inclination, there are thousands of studies which have been published. In one case, they do report sex differences, not necessarily in the whole size, maybe the thickness of the cortex or different parts of the brain. And then the next month, another high-prestige journal will publish another article saying, actually, yes, there were some sex differences, but not in those areas. And so I think... And Mikhail may not agree, but I don't think neuroscience has such, as yet, has come up with a really consistent characterization of a brain, and they can reliably indicate that that is the brain from a man or that that is the brain from a woman. Um, and it's not like, you know, the forensic pathologists who scrabble around in skeletons triumphantly pick up a bone and say, I know this was a 34-year-old woman who's had three children and arthritis or something. <laughs> we are not at that stage in brain science. We may get there if we're getting, um, starting to, to get very much more nuanced techniques. Uh, but even so, even if we look at structures, and as a neuroscientist, I probably hate to uh, confess this, we're not really sure of the relationship between structure and function. We don't know if having a bigger amygdala has a profound effect on how your uh, on your emotional behavior, or whether having a bigger hippocampus has profound effects on your memory, for example. Um, and there are studies linking those together quite in quite an interesting fashion, but not in the kind of clear-cut difference, which a lot of, of um, some neuroscience findings and a lot of the neurotrash findings would lead us to believe. So interesting study, which in a way sort of illustrates, I will say this, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Miguel, you're in neurolinguistics, and you've, um, you say that there's a 99% overlap between boys and girls when it comes to, to language. So a tiny neglectable difference, at least among normal kids. But when you look at the children with language problems, uh, these differences are much bigger. Can you explain uh, that? Well, I can't explain it. But oh, I, can you I tell can... us about it? Expand <laughs> on it. Yeah. I can... I can definitely say that we do seem to observe these things. And this is, uh, I suppose, uh, where things become really complicated and even to the extent uh, that you might even call them paradoxical. Um, and you could say, just, uh, just to make it clear, that I would say with, with this, uh, this example, actually what it leads you to say is that brain size doesn't really matter. And this is a, uh, that the more we look into these um, very general um, uh, numbers, we see that they're not correlated with anything. And even though uh, there's some of this is explained, uh, some of this size difference is explained by uh, general size differences, it actually turns out that the uh, correlation, so how well you can explain uh, the size of the person's brain on the basis of the person's uh, body size, it doesn't really fit well. 
And it, furthermore, it becomes even more paradoxical when you look at uh, brain size as a function of um, development. So we know that, for example, uh, girls' brains have their largest uh, size when they're around 11 years old. So if you were to believe that a large brain was, bigger, uh, was better for you, then you would have to believe that girls aged 11 had reached their intellectual peak. And I don't know if uh, I heard a s s small giggle from down here suggesting that that may not be the case. So we simply have to give up uh, this very, very simple-minded idea that a bigger brain means bigger performance. And of course, this, um, there's a clear, actually, um, gender slash sex difference in this, namely that boys' brains peak in size a little bit later. Uh, but still, it uh, unfortunately is the case that our brains, as we age, grow smaller and smaller. Uh, <laughs> so there, uh, there are things that simply prevent us from um, concluding that a, a big brain is necessarily good. To get back to your question... Yes, please. <laughs> uh, when we look at development in children, um, we see that girls start to speak uh, approximately one month before uh, boys. They develop their vocabulary um, earlier, and this is seen uh, across many, many countries, uh, in different cultures, so it seems to be an, I would say, almost universal feature. This doesn't mean that boys do not learn language, of course, hopefully. Uh, they just seem to be, um, at least uh, in the beginning, slightly delayed. But when you then follow this trajectory, um, it actually turns out that throughout life, at least to the extent that we can measure it, there is a tiny difference. So that if you uh, draw the distributions, and again, we have to always keep in mind that there are some that are very bad at language, some that are very good at language, and that it's all a distribution, and most of us are right in the middle. If we look at the middle, then we cannot use language competences to predict uh, sex or gender. Just a completely random distribution, but because there's this slightly shift it means that as we grow, go out on the tail of the distribution, you have to remember there are many, much fewer people out here, but suddenly a small difference uh, means much more. So that means that the children who are uh, diagnosed with autism, which is, uh, we can discuss that, has something to do with language. Uh, children who are uh, diagnosed with uh, uh, language disturbances or developmental language disorders, uh, children who are uh, diagnosed with dyslexia, more or less all types of um, um, neurological slash uh, psychiatric disorders that have to do with language uh, development, you see that boys outnumber girls two to one. So and there, that are, there, are, there are twice as many boys in that category exactly. as there are girls. Okay. And I'm not... I, I'm not pretending to have the explanation for this, it's just an observation that you can see uh, that seems to be there. And so the, the paradoxical thing is that the, when you look at the whole distribution, so everybody in here, well, we cannot use language or the brain or, um, 
or other cognitive measures really to predict much, um, or we cannot use, should I say, gender to predict much. But when we look at the um, at the tails of this distribution, then suddenly it may matter a little bit. Okay, Gina, do you have a comment on this? Yes, yeah, I mean, I think um, a whole range, actually. I, th I think you need to look at the question from both issues with respect to uh, what, looking at brain imaging, uh, brain images, for example, you can't, I still say, you can't reliably predict um, that somebody's, this is a brain from a man, this is a brain from a woman. More interestingly, I think you can't take a woman and say, I know that your brain will look like this. We can't take a man and say, I know your brain will look like that, which I think is, is a good way of saying that this, this, that particular category, that distinction, that label, is not a good way of looking at these data. I think when you get to the extremes, um, I think that's possibly where these tiny differences that you've talked about become more crucial. And I think that's true in a whole range of areas. I think certainly language is one. Um, and that, that is where understanding what, where, the, where the sex differences in the brain that we can find will take us is crucial, that we still con um, concentrate on that. What worries me more is the idea that, that how this science is communicated. And I have used the word brains from men, brains from women deliberately, because actually uh, one of the biggest claims um, about male and female brains, for example, in a book called The Essential Difference by Simon Baron-Cohen, his opening lines are, the female brain is hard hardwired for empathy, the male brain is hardwired for understanding systems. Very clear statement, and people, you know, that becomes entrenched in people's consciousness as what we're talking about. Later on in the book, he does say, of course, you don't have to be a man to have a male brain. You don't have to be a female to have a female brain. And somebody who's interested in language, I think that's a really important thing to hang on to. What are we talking about here? And I, I think that's, that's, that is an important issue. Um, it also is the idea that we're talking about hugely overlapping distributions, tiny differences, and in fact, the variability within the two groups is much more interesting. And that's why understanding what's happening at the extremes is important and not something that um, you know, people have said that people like me are trying to prevent research into sex differences, um, putting women's health at risk, for example. This is the feminazi. Um, yeah, I, I did say earlier, you're either a critical neuroscientist or you're a methodological terrorist, um, you know, depending on who's hearing what you're saying. Um, so yes, I mean, long answer, I think those differences are important, important to understand, but they shouldn't be allowed to um, inform a general opinion, opinion, which then feeds back onto the very brains that we're looking at. Thank you. Um, let's move away from statistics because we can easily. Uh, this, it, it's very important. This thing, and the Simon Baron Cohen book is sort of um, is, is very important and, and very uh, acknowledged and recognized. So it's important to have this critique of it. But let's move on to the plasticity of the brain. Many have heard that the brain is plastic in Danish. Plastisk means it. Uh, it can be easily molded. There's uh, an often used metaphor that the brain is a muscle, meaning uh, the more you train certain things, the, the better the brain will be at, at doing them. So we actually actively form the brain during our life from our experiences and from our trainings in, in various areas. So the question is, 
of course, how much of our brain, of our brain's functioning is shaped by experiences. I know it's a <laughs> tough question, but can you sort of approach, I mean, reading your book, it seems like you, you want to emphasize this very much, that we have become more and more aware in recent years of how plastic the yep. brain actually is. Yes, I think the plasticity is part of the argument I'm making in that the, the very early views, I mean, we're talking, we are talking going back to the 18th, 19th century, was that there was a very, what we call, essentialist, determinist view that your brain emerged, you were born with a particular kind of brain, and it, it, it went through life um, with some different characteristics. But effectively, um, when you reached you know, early, early sort of maybe teens, your brain had developed as far as it was going to develop, and, and that was great, and that's what you then took out into the world. What we now realize is that what we saw, the kind of plasticity we saw in young children, also can be found, which is great for us and kind of understandable for educators, in, in adults and, and through in, in, into, into old age and possibly lasting longer in old age than, than uh, you know, obviously take an optimistic view. Um, but, <laughs> but the idea was that the experiences we have in the world will change the brain. And there's a great set of studies done in London by Eleanor Maguire looking at um, black cab drivers, taxi drivers. I don't know if any of you have been to London. You come arrive at the station, black cab outside, say to, you know, I want to go to Buckingham Palace or something. Those black cab drivers have had to go through a particular training called the knowledge, which means they have to learn 20,000 routes within six, six miles of Charing Cross in London. And they have to be able to, somebody will test them and say, like, I want you to, uh, it's the middle of June, um, there's a sporting event on in Wembley, somebody gets into your cab and they want you to take them to the Houses of Parliament, how would you do it? And you have to instantly, it's an amazing feat of memory, of visuospatial memory in particular, but also currently being updated. So fantastic training, takes three or four years, um, six sometimes, and they've tracked uh, trainee taxi drivers and shown that as they learn the knowledge, there's a particular part of the brain called the hippocampus, which increases in size. As they're driving taxi cabs around the place um, and, and being taxi drivers, um, they have this sort of enlarged part of the brain. But interestingly, when they retire, those, those parts of the brain um, diminish again. So a really nice idea, uh, image of how the brain can wax and wane with the experience. And they've also looked at bus drivers because they're saying, well, bus drivers also have to uh, do complicated things you know, in, in London, but they're on fixed routes. They don't get any choice. So that's a really nice, good <laughs> neuroscience experiment, I think, which demonstrates the plastic brain and demonstrates how what we do as we grow up or what we don't do, importantly, and that's, why I think, where the gender issues can come in, what we don't do will change how our brain functions. Miguel? Yes, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this study as well. I spent uh, part of my uh, PhD in the, the Space and Memory Group in uh, London. But when I look at it now, I, th I still think that now that we're talking about gender, we have this... Uh, we have these large uh, size differences, and we know that they don't matter. I'm just wondering whether that tiny little change in the hippocampus is actually mm. uh, causal, or whether it's just uh, a coincidence. And whether so, the problem with these studies is that they're very, very hard yeah. to replicate because there are only very few of these taxi drivers yeah, that take part in yeah. experiments, and so and they're all done within the same lab. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, although I've, I find this story uh, fantastic yeah. and amazing and I wish it, uh, it'd be true, I just, I just uh, now that we're talking about uh, sex and gender and we see that a deciliter of brain doesn't explain anything. Then would we have these... Um, this was a brain, sorry? A deciliter, oh, right. 100 milliliters of uh, brain tissue, which is the, uh, the average uh, difference between male and female, and we see that it doesn't explain anything. So why would, why would a small change in the hippocampus, mm. which is actually more of a shape change than a real size change, if you mm. look at the actual study, um, so this, this becomes, but this becomes very uh, technical. I think okay. we should... Uh, Can I, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I think two things. First of all, they did actually look at taxi drivers who failed the knowledge. So I think that's quite an interesting control. If it was just taxi drivers and just that study, we've talked about this before, I, you know, I hold up my hands and say this needs replicating. But there are a whole range of other studies looking for really interesting, looking at musicians learning mu um, musical instruments and learning different musical instruments, so keyboard players um, using their hands asymmetrically as opposed to string players, you can probably tell I'm not a musician, who, who use their hands asymmetrically, reflected in brain changes. Now, reflected in, correlated with, I will completely agree, you know, how are we going to actually prove a causal link here? Um, so sometimes we have to, to look at ways of proving that in different ways. And, you know, if it was just the taxi drivers, I'd agree, but I think there's a good, good enough evidence of how our brains will reflect what's going on around us, and not just experiences, also attitudes. There's the whole kind of stereotype threat type um, uh, literature, which is interesting to criticise, I agree, but also to speculate as to how might we make this better and demonstrate whether it's an effect that we should throw away and isn't relevant. We need also, uh, time is running, we need also to address hormones because many people in here are probably thinking, what about hormones? Um, isn't that sort of the key to gender difference, Gina? Okay. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think hormones, if you like, are, are, are the fuel which drive a lot, drives a lot of our behavior. And again, very strong argument that the higher levels of testosterone uh, that male fetuses are exposed to, which determine the genitalia, which gets them assigned to that sex when they're born. Also, um, in, the, in the same way as I was saying, two types of body, two types of brain, that will also organize the brain differently. And there is a very powerful lobby saying that a lot of the behaviors, the gender gaps we look at, are related to uh, differences in hormones. There's a huge body of work when the idea that, you know, discovering hormones and their role in behavior was carried out on all sorts of non-human animals, where, of course, you can do all sorts of direct manipulation, you can change levels, you can uh, block levels, um, and this fed into the brain organization theory very powerfully. I think one of the things we need to acknowledge in human, the, the role of human hormones in behavior, is that it is now emerging with studies of social uh, neuroendocrinology, that human hormones are as responsive to, in a way, what we've just been talking about, the environmental context um, as the brain. And so that's another area where maybe looking at humo humans, human hormones, um, we need to be careful not to extrapolate too powerfully from animal studies. For example, the testosterone levels in fathers, who are the primary carers, of newborn babies, 
um, are lower than the testosterone levels in fathers who are not the primary carers of newborn babies, human fathers, we'd say. Um, and so this is a nice example of how a social context uh, is reflected in what people used to assume was a fairly fixed physiological characteristic. So it goes both ways. Uh, hormones affect our behavior, but our behavior also affects... Yep. The hormone levels. I think that the, the, the closing of the loop is really what I'm hoping that the 21st century neuroscience is doing. Very old, you know, so people say, oh, do you believe it's nature or do you believe it's nurture? Neither. I think what we're now seeing is that that is an old dichotomy which is past its sell-by date. We need to acknowledge that the two are really closely entangled and maybe more in human society than in non-human society. Um, it looks as though one of the reasons we succeeded as humans was because our brains are wired to be social. We need to find out what's going on in the outside world. We need the outside world to you know, inform us how to behave. And I think um, that closing of the loop and understanding how nurture is so closely entangled w w with nature is, is means actually you know, questions like, have you got a male brain or a female brain? Could we please stop asking that question? <laughs> So this is where I fundamentally agree with uh, Gina. Okay. So, so, and, and probably what I've been trying to say so far has also been to provoke a little bit of a debate about the very simplistic measures that we have also, Gina and I, sometimes still uh, peddling. Uh, and I think uh, the idea that the brain as sort of a structure where you can go and measure the size of something and then tell what it does is old-fashioned because it's um, probably the case that the methods that we have so far, and this is where the, this talk could be about the future, uh, which is, I think, the title, uh, is that we need to develop new methods that are actually sensitive to the uh, transient ch changes in the brain and that are capable of actually monitoring things over time in a sensible manner. And that's very complicated, I promise you because the brain is so incredibly complicated in the first place, and then trying to track how it changes over time is an almost impossible uh, endeavor. But that means that we have work to do. Yep, excellent. So could we say that, that the future of, of this research, the, the answer is not to stop entirely looking for gender differences, but to look better yep. at these, is that? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what I would say. Now that we know the different kind of variables that you could look at, like, for mm -hmm. example, the occupation you'd have, the edu educational level, um, the hobbies you have, the sports you played, the toys you played with when you were a child, we, we know that those will impact in particular ways on the brain. So just asking this very simplistic binary question yeah. of all of these, these wonderful data that we have, mm -hmm. huge data sets we now have, um, certainly the way forward is to stop asking this simplistic question. You will find sex differences if you take a thousand brains and compare them with another thousand brains. But what that means and how much it should inform how people live their lives and how they bring up their children and how they're educated. I think it's really important that, that we, get, we get this right. Why are we... Um, why are people so obsessed with finding this strict difference between uh, male and female brains? Is it because we have different bodies and we want to apply this to the brain? Or is it because it's a nice story that, that uh, women can't read maps and men can't multitask yeah. and all okay. this? 
do you have an idea why people want this to be there to be a binary brain? Well, I think I think we now know that uh, being social, your social identity. Um, self-esteem, acceptance by other people is a very powerful driver in the brain. So I think if somebody comes along and challenges certainties that you can hang on to, that you, you can. I mean, we are trying to predict people's behavior. Brains, that's how brains work. That's how we work. We're trying to guess, you know, what the social nicety should be. And I think that's, um, you know, that, that's really the issue that we need to understand because it does provoke a lot of anger in people. Um, and I think it's because certainties are being challenged. People will see there are gender gaps in the world. They want an explanation. And this seems like a nice, safe explanation. It's been around for a couple of hundred years. It makes good sense in terms of what was being said then. Um, so, you know, why do you want to come along and, and rock the boat and say, actually, there's more important things you should be looking at? Well, I, I would also say that it, anybody who says that sex doesn't really interest me is probably um, not telling the truth. So, we're, so sex obviously is a primary driver in uh, every living uh, species. And so therefore it's bound to be interesting for um, also the human uh, species. And, and then how we play the sex-slash-gender game will potentially change, uh, but it will never go out of fashion. That's my prediction. Could I just quickly, yes. Sorry, yes. <laughs> quickly add something? I mean, what, interestingly, in terms of the, the very angry emails I get um, are generally from males or with names that make me think they're males. But actually, other, <laughs> other, other emails are sometimes from women who say, you know, our campaign is to say that women are bringing something special to the table and yeah. we're unique because we're empathic. Mm -hmm. And if somebody comes along and says, do you know, it's not actually just because you're a woman, um, they feel I'm under... I shouldn't be telling you this because, you know, I want you to think of me in a positive light. But I will acknowledge that is something... That, um, that is the other side of the coin, yes. because it's a nice story. And if you're looking at inequality and said, oh, this is a way of shifting the balance, and somebody says, actually, it doesn't quite work that way, um, they don't like that. Um, we're uh, approaching the end of this talk, and now I'm talking to the, the technician. I want to show the last clip now, so we're skipping the Leonard Cohen clip. We had an idea, Miguel and I, of uh, a Leonard Cohen song uh, showing how uh, deep male voices attract women and so on. That's a different oh, story. Wow. You, can, uh, <laughs> you all know Leonard Cohen. So uh, the last clip, please. An ordinary dinner party, the sort of occasion we all enjoy. The men are exchanging witty stories. And look at the women, aren't they pretty? Look at the way they laugh, they're delightful. But now the conversation turns to more serious matters. I wonder if the government should return to the gold standard. I think it should. Good, <laughs> then we're all agreed. But oh dear, what's this? One of the women is about to embarrass us all. I think the government should stay off the gold standard so that the pound can reach a level that would keep our exports competitive. 
The lady has foolishly attempted to join the conversation with a wild and dangerous opinion of her own. What half-baked drivel. See how the men look at her with utter contempt. Daphne, we're going home. Women, know your limits. <laughs> look at the effect of education on a man and a woman's mind. Education passes into the mind of a man. See how the information is evenly and tidily stored. Now see the same thing on a woman. At first we see a similar result. But now look. Still at a reasonably low level of education, her brain suddenly overloads. She cannot take in complicated information. She becomes frantically and absurdly deranged. Look at these venomous harridans. They went to university. Hard to believe they're all under 25. Yes, over-education leads to ugliness, premature aging, and beard growth. Now let's see the proper way. Good. So we're all agreed. We should return to the gold standard. Oh, I don't know anything about the gold standard, I'm afraid, but I do love little kittens. <laughs> they're so soft and furry. What a delightful thought, you dear, sweet, fragile little thing. <laughs> Women, know your limits. In thought, be plain and simple, and let your natural sweetness shine through. <laughs> So, with this uh, marvelous uh, morale, thank you to <laughs> Gina Ribbon and Miguel Valentin. You have listened to a Heartland podcast. If you like what you just heard, please write us a review on iTunes, or even better, tell your friends that you heard this. We would really appreciate it. Thank you. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.